Welcome back to the McCann Dogs Podcast. This is episode 66. Now, I know I said it was episode 66 last week, but that was a test. It was actually episode 65, and you guys passed. It is episode 66, and in today's episode, um, Instructor Shanville Jassu has written a a really interesting article about um, something that she's noticed. Now, if there's a popular movie out that features a specific breed of dog, we'll often see a real influx of that breed of dog come in for training. And at the same time, uh, local shelters see a real influx in that same breed of dog coming into their care. Now, the deadliest man on earth, John Wick, can handle a Malinois, but can you? I'm Ken Steep, and welcome back to McCann Dog. So Shannon, uh, this is this isn't the first time we've seen something like this. Uh, you, you mentioned a couple things in your article that I thought were really interesting. Um, and if there are any Game of Thrones fans out there, uh, we know there's been a real increase in uh, huskies, uh, you know, husky ownership, huskies being turned into shelters because people, uh, you know, maybe don't think the whole process of getting a dog through. Um, but uh, what are a couple of other examples of th- times you can remember that have dog was featured in a show or a, a movie and all of a sudden uh, there's shelters were overwhelmed with that breed yeah I mean pretty much any time a movie comes out that features a dog it, it, people go flocking for that breed because they see it and it's wonderful and it's fun and we saw it with my dog skip we saw it with 101 Dalmatians you know we see it I'm not a Game of Thrones fan um, not that I dislike it I just have never watched it so I wasn't even really aware of the whole direwolf phenomena but this is a big deal now there's so many huskies showing up as well in shelters and I think it's human nature to want what you see and to want to replicate what you see so you see this awesome dog doing amazing things up on the screen and you know we think back to the dog in Frasier and and everybody wants that character in their life everybody wants that fun dog in their life but what they're forgetting is that that dog did not arrive with all those skills and all that wonderful training underneath its belt it has been put through a lot a lot of teaching since you know the the time they came into that trainer's home so very important to remember that just because you see a breed up on the screen and it looks like it's going to be it, it looks like an amazing dog and you think it, that particular dog would fit well into my lifestyle that doesn't necessarily mean that the dog of that breed, you know, same breed, but your dog bringing home doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get the same thing as what you see up on the screen. I, uh, for our Canadian listeners, uh, you may remember the littlest hobo oh. and uh, what an adorable dog. Mm-hmm. It saved the day every single episode. I mean, it was such a wonderful dog. The other thing that immediately strikes me is uh I occasionally, as uh, when I'm herding sheep with Mac, I will think to myself when I tell him that'll do, I uh, will think to myself, that'll do, pig, that'll do. Because of Babe the Pig, I wonder if, you know, uh, uh, shelters saw the same influx of, uh, you know, sm- maybe border small collies. pigs. Oh, border yeah. collies. Oh, interesting. big yeah. pigs. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, I didn't even think about that. I wonder if Carol Lawrence would know anything about yeah, that. Yeah, it's interesting. But... And Carol's one of our instructors who uh, trained a pig actually to do agility as well as, uh, I forget. Flyball. Flyball as well. Utility training utility obedience training sent articles that pig I almost said that dog was remarkable that pig was some pig yeah yeah. (laughs) he was one in a million and he was definitely a crowd favorite at our shows Fred the pig yeah so let's talk about 
what we don't see in the movies, you know, is some of these, uh, some of these shows, and I went to see John Wick and I was uh, thoroughly disappointed in the movie, to be honest. It's just one long fight scene. Um, but what, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into preparing those dogs for those roles. There's a lot that goes into caring for a dog. Let's talk about what we don't see in the movies that our listeners really need to be aware of if they see a you know, specific breed on screen and they think, hmm, maybe that, that would work for me. Yeah, definitely all the work that goes into that. So not just specific training for that movie itself. So if I've got a dog that um, needs to go to a certain mark on a film set, you know, I can train him to do that skill. But the reason I can train him to do that skill is because I've put in two years of work into training this dog already and he has listening skills and he understands how to learn and he understands how to think through, problem solve, get to the point where he is able to give me the behavior that I'm asking for. You know, you don't just bring home the dog and then have this amazing creature that's going to act like the dog on the screen. Yeah. All that work is so, so important to remember to get to the point where the dog is as impressive as it is. And if you are looking at breeds that are a little bit higher end, as far as their intensity, their workability, their drive, you know, things like that, fits so, so perfectly for a Malinois. The Belgian Malinois is one of the premier working breeds. They are, they're tough, they're drivey, they have energy to beat the band. They've been described as full-time jobs by more than one people that I've, more than one person that I've heard in my lifetime. They, they are a lot of dog. And in order to be successful with a dog like that, you really need to put in the time and the effort. You mm. can't just, you know, bring home a family pet and hope for the best and be able to get away with that. With a breed yeah. like a Malinois, that is going to turn around and bite you and it's going to make your life miserable. Yeah, and I don't think you use that uh, turn around and bite you as a pun. <laughs> But, but really, there's a reason that the military, that the police services, uh, you know, will use Malinois is because of their athletic ability, because of some of the other traits that maybe uh, are, you know, less popular for your family pet, but mm -hmm. are really advantageous for uh, some of those working skills. Definitely. If you think about what a dog was bred to do, I have, um, at this point in my life, I have sporting breeds and sporting breeds have extremely soft mouths. They're supposed to have soft mouths. That's one of the things that goes into the breeding of a sporting breed so that they don't damage game. So if um, I send my toller out to retrieve a duck, that duck comes back and there's no punctures in the bird itself. The feathers are still in place. That duck will be something that I can now turn around and put on my family table and it's safe. Mm -hmm. That's something that we want for from our sporting breeds. What we want from dogs like Malinois, and the first dog that I, I had in my life was a Rottweiler, and, and there's a huge difference. I can't even express how much difference there is in the desire to bite and use their mouths between a Rottweiler and uh, a Toller. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I don't mean bite and use their mouths in a negative way, but tugging with my Rottweiler was an exponentially different experience than tugging with my Tollers. Sure. There's so much reinforcement in biting itself for a working dog, for a dog like a Rottweiler, like a Malinois especially, mm. one of their greatest rewards is the ability to get to bite. So in order to make that a productive thing, you need to be able to channel that drive. You mm -hmm. can't just hope that that drive never comes out with a, with a dog like a Malinois. It's so ingrained in their being, in who they are, that that yeah. biting is so reinforcing. If you can't channel that drive, 
and I, again, here comes another bad pun. Yeah. It is going to turn around and bite you quite literally. Yeah. And to keep in mind that, um, you know, we do talk about how all dogs are different. We do talk about how, uh, you know, dogs learn using the same uh, rules, uh, essentially. But you do need to be aware of specific breeds, specific breed traits. And you can take advantage of those. But you also do just need to be more aware that, you know, I guess it's dependent on each situation. But of these characteristics, because these dogs have been bred because they were the best at bite work because Absolutely. they were the best at whatever uh, you know skill that they're trying to apply so you do need to um you know specific you need need to focus on some of those skills to make sure that you have uh, a well-behaved dog who's a family pet uh and, and they have a real understanding that uh, of their role in your household absolutely people love these breeds because they are so adept at the working jobs that they do so yeah. you know the people who want a dog that is going to bite and bite hard and not let go and you know be tenacious enough to take down a full-grown person in a huge in a huge suit mm -hmm. and still hang on and you know continue to grip and and take control of that person yeah. if people who are playing working games like that sporting games etc or actually training dogs for working or military work they revere dogs like the malinois because they are so good at this work mm -hmm. and malinois are great at the work because they've got the drive they've got the intensity and that makes a great partnership but we always need to remember the first step in successfully bringing up a dog is matching the right breed to you right and if you start with a breed that you know it, it i really i love my tollers i absolutely love my tollers i would love my rottweiler as well but at this point in my life getting another rottweiler it doesn't really afford me doing the things that i want to do so i stick with my tollers because they are perfect for the things i like to do i love to do field work i love to do obedience and those things you know i can channel perfectly into a toller and I can have my toller for working in both of those avenues. Whereas, you know, if I had Rottweilers again, I might be tempted to go and do some Schutzund or some IPO or something of that nature. But right now at this stage of my life, it's not something that I desire. So I want to make sure that I get a dog that's going to be happy doing the things that I do like doing. Mm -hmm. And I love doing field work. Um, I, I'm no longer dabbling in agility or fly ball, but I love doing field work and I love doing obedience. So getting a dog that's suited to those specific games is going to set me off on the right track as far as getting to the end of my goal and getting to a, the, the point where I have a dog that is doing things that I like doing. Yeah, so beyond, it begs the question, and maybe if uh, someone's listening to our podcast right now and they uh, are choosing a breed of dog to get, what other things beyond uh, you know recreation, beyond the recreational activities and uh, maybe sports that you do with your dogs, what are some other considerations that people need to keep in mind when they're choosing the right breed for them? Yeah, absolutely. So um, definitely the intensity of the dog, the energy level of the dog is going to be, I would say, top of the list. Um, that's one of the first things that you want to match to your lifestyle. If you have, you know, if you have a busy, busy, active lifestyle, you like to run and you like to be out on the weekends with the family hiking etc etc getting a couch potato dog you know or a dog that is physically not built to keep up with those activities without 
without failing down the road, yeah. that's going to set you up to be unhappy and vice versa. If you, this is usually what happens is that people get dogs that have too much energy for them and then they end up with labels like stubborn or hyper, et cetera, et cetera. And it's that the team is not matched. Yeah. The, the dog's energy level is not matched to the human. So the dog is frustrated. The human is frustrated. And it's just, it's not a good journey for either involved. What right. we need to do is match the energy level to ourselves and be honest about it. You know, talk to the breeder make sure that they know what your lifestyle is like so that they can match an appropriate puppy with you we want to make sure that we start off on the right track for that especially um uh, things like grooming requirements you know if you know that you're a lazy groomer i'm not i'm not a i, I don't like to groom a ton with my dogs i wouldn't say i'm a lazy groomer i get the job done but it's not my favorite thing to do so sure. me getting an afghan hound or an old english sheepdog would be a disaster yeah. because I'm sure that it would be frustrating for me to have to live in that situation where I don't necessarily want to be grooming extensively every week, but I have to do that in order to keep the dog safe, et cetera, et cetera. So all those things are considerations. Size of the dog, you know, what's going to fit well into your lifestyle? Are you in an apartment or a house? Do you have a big enough car to transport a Great Dane safely? Yeah. You know, there's, there's so many things to consider with it. So um, I would say your best bet is always to start with preliminary research. I like to use the Canadian Kennel Club website because they have sort of a brief synopsis of each breed what they were bred to do is a really important clue as to how the dog is going to be as an adult so mm -hmm. you know if they're bred for really high drive working things then you're going to have lots of energy because that dog needs to keep up with what it was bred for if they were bred to be more you know flock guardian type of dogs or if they were bred to be more um uh, um, protectors of a house, et cetera, et cetera. They're probably going to be a little bit slower and more methodical and not necessarily going to want to be playing agility on the weekends. So sure. looking for all the different traits of breeds is going to be good. <laughs> Excuse me. I know in the past you've mentioned um, using a breed club mm -hmm. as a resource. And I know that's actually come up in a couple uh, conversations that I've had recently. And I think that's a great resource. You can probably get there through your local kennel club website that, yes. that'll have uh, some links to, to check out breed clubs. But it's so nice to, you know, have specialists, you know, people that really understand the breed and have seen many, many dogs from that breed uh, rather than, uh, you know, a breeder is certainly a good resource. But I think that overarching uh, opportunity to speak with several different breeders Absolutely. that a breed club would have is also really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. When you mentioned the energy level, certainly um, I, I read a couple of quotes in your uh, in your article, and I think they sort of encapsulate the dogs, the, the Belgian Malinois, quite well. And I just wanted to read a couple of them because, it, you know, having uh, been around lots of Malinois before, I know they are a high drive, high energy dog. And a couple of the quotes that you had gotten from uh, people. Saber would lie on the deck, staring at the siding of the house for hours. When a fly landed, she would jump at it, hitting the siding of the house with all four feet, about six feet up the wall before resuming her position on the deck, waiting for the next fly. And, uh, you know, that could be seen as uh, problematic for some households. You know, um, let's talk a little bit about that drive, about that intensity and whether what kind of person, what, what a person would expect they'd have to do to... Uh, satisfy the dog's needs. 
Yeah, most definitely. So th- this is a dog that needs to work. Um, actually, that that quote was from one of our instructors, Christine, and she owned Malinois very early on in her dog training career. She even says at this stage of the game in her life, they're far too much for what she wants to do. She would not, but she loves that she had them then when she was in her 20s and she had loads of energy to deal with. But basically, being a full-time job, these dogs are not weekend warriors. Mm -hmm. So you can't expect to bring home a Malinois, take it for a walk around the block five days a week, and then on the weekends be able to go out and do agility and do bite work and and whatever. Or, you know, if you're not planning on working the dog, um, just going out for a three or four hour hike on the weekend, yes, that's going to make the dog happy on the weekend. However, (laughs) during the week, they are not a dog that's to be put up on the shelf and they will be miserable miserable and make your life miserable too. So, um, this, uh, this quote here is absolutely indicative of the type of dog that needs entertainment, that needs mental, physical stimulation, that needs to be given a job on a daily basis. This dog will not be happy being a couch potato through the week. So um, making sure that you're getting into training with the dog, learning about different concepts in training so that you can give the dog a lot of mental stimulation, having physical outlets for the dog as well, you know, being able to run some of the energy out of them, but the mental stimulation is a big, big deal for these dogs. So being prepared, I think with, um, I think probably the best way to put it with the Malinois, as somebody said, they're not an entry level dog. Mm And I couldn't, I couldn't agree with that more. You know, there's certain dogs that you can get and you can make lots of mistakes with and, and you can figure out your path as you're going with certain dogs and a Malinois is not going to be forgiving with that. So um, if you get a dog that is such high drive and such high workability, you need to be prepared that that dog is going to be your big hobby through the week as well as on the weekends, not just weekend warriors. Yeah, for sure. I, I, lo- I love that, um, that thought pattern. And I know we often talk about you know finding the right dog uh, for the right person and uh, that needs that is such a big part of d- choosing the dog also maybe choosing the breeder you know maybe they're known for having a little bit lower drive uh, Labradors for example I mean the, the, I arbitrarily picked a breed but um, really matching that is is so important and what you what you will see is uh, if you if you have correctly matched the right dog to the right person is someone who's more successful yes. you know uh, who enjoys the the dog training part of it more because they are are able to be more successful. Um, maybe you are a high energy active person who wants to go out and do things like bite work, get get uh, introduced to, to that, uh, the Schutzen um, uh, sporting field, you know, maybe, but most people, that's not really what they're thinking about right. when they get that dog. So, uh, you know, the person who's more successful with their dog training is going to enjoy their dog training more and they're going to do it more often. Yes, most definitely. And when you get results and you get wins and you enjoy having your dog, that to me is really really that's the whole point (laughs) not being frustrated and just trying to get by with the dog for sure now when we're talking about some of the physical and mental activities that people can be doing with their dogs for the average dog owner we actually have a free workshop that's pretty cool we've had some really interesting uh activities shannon that you've created for the group we've also seen lots of people in the private facebook group sharing like other activities that they're doing with their dogs tell us a little bit about the uh the mystery box workshop yeah every month every month the mystery box delivered to your email inbox and um we're having a lot of fun with this basically our goal was to open up some of our online training to 
everybody uh, and to present free workshops so that we can help teach you how to do some amazing things with your dogs. And we've put out uh, several workshops already. The next one is almost ready. I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag and or the dog out of the crate <laughs> yes, yeah. and uh, yeah. tell you guys what that next one is. You'll have to wait until July 1st, but it's going to be lots and lots of fun. Um, join us in those free workshops. Give it a shot. See what you think about um, joining the McCann team. Yeah. And I found like working with my dogs, I, you send me the uh, r rough footage. Uh, I get a chance to edit it, have a look at it. And I also get to do some of the activities with our dogs. And uh, it's so, so many of them, you don't need a great big area. You know, you can do a lot of things in a smaller space. So regardless of where you are, or, you know, your, your access to, to, you know, wide open areas, you can do these tricks and you can do these skills with your dog and they're so beneficial these are the real relationship builders we always we sort of use relationship a term pretty loosely but when we talk about you know knowing what your dog's capable of knowing where their weaknesses maybe are you know them looking to you for information that's what we mean when we're talking about leadership and the uh, free monthly workshop is a great way to build a super strong relationship with your dog so you have a well-behaved four-legged family member Definitely. They're so fun. There's a supportive Facebook group to go along with it. So you can show off everything that you're doing with your dogs if from the free workshops or from things that you have uh, done on your own based on things you've learned in the free workshops. So give it a shot. Definitely. And I will leave a link in the show notes below. And if you're watching this on our YouTube podcast, I'll leave a link in the description down below so that you can check that out. And if this is your first time on the podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button. We publish new episodes every single week to help you understand the why behind how dogs think and learn. And on that note, I want to thank you guys for listening. I'm Ken Steep. I'm Shannon. Happy training. Bye for now. Bye, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the McCann Dogs podcast. And if you'd like some more training resources, be sure to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at McCann Dogs. And if you'd like to train with us online, be sure to check out the show notes below for our My Dog Can online training program, where we know in just a few weeks, your dog will become a well-behaved family member. Until then, happy training.